0: you guys are here. If you're joining online, I'm glad you're here. If it's your first time, I certainly hope it's not your last time. Um, <coughs> it's fun to be here, um, especially in the air conditioning. I don't know about you, but if, if I could think of one thing I'd wish for today, it would that it wouldn't feel like a wet blanket when you walk outside. Um, regardless of where you find yourself, whether you're in the building or you're watching online, or maybe you're watching with us later in the week, uh, we are so thankful you're here, and really. Being here is kind of what this series is about we 're talking about wishes and, and wishes are an interesting thing. we all have wishes don 't we it doesn 't matter if you're you're young or old or rich or poor or or wherever you find yourself in life we, we all kind of have wishes and what I love about wishes is you can tell a lot about a person depending on what they wish for it 's really interesting and, and this whole idea of wishes as we 've been talking about it is, is that we may ha- have wishes um, you know for what the weather would be like or for certain outcomes but but almost all of us have wishes uh, of of that we wish we were here. We wish for all of us that we weren't where we were, but that we would be where we want to be. We all have a wish of of what here might look like. And for you, it, it, it might look different than mine. It might look different than everybody else's. But we all have those wishes, no matter who we are. It's interesting that that no matter where we find ourselves on this spectrum, if we've grown up in church or this is your first time in church, or maybe you're here or you're listening for the first time and you're really not sure you believe in God at all or where you you kind of fall with this faith thing. And and somebody just, you know, dragged you to church because you had nothing better to do on a Sunday morning. We all have wishes for ourselves. We all have wishes of where of where we could be and and perhaps of where we should be. And what's interesting as we kind of look back over our life, we we think, you know, I I may be better than, than than where I was, where I started but I'm not yet where I wish I was. And, and we, we, we launched this series with this really kind of provocative question, and it's, it's provocative um, n- not necessarily because of the nature of it, but because of the outcome, that depending on how we answer this question, uh, we're really not sure what, what the outcome is going to be, but the, the, the question is, is this, what does God wish for me? What does God wish for you? I mean, it's probably an interesting thought did, that you maybe didn't know, that God has wishes for you. That God looks at your life and says, you, you've done so good, and I'm so glad you're here, but I wish you were here. What does God wish for you? And as we think about this wish, perhaps the greatest obstacle obstacle rather, to, to accomplishing that wish or being where God wants us to be is that when we look back over our lives, we, we, we kind of see all the mistakes we've made, and we think, God's probably really upset with me. Like if he saw everything I've done to get to this point, he's probably frustrated. He's probably not happy. God pr- probably isn't okay with what I've done. When we look at our past, we, all we see are the problems. All we see is the problems of our past. But when God looks at you, he sees something completely different. As a matter of fact, God describes himself, especially in the, in the New Testament, as a perfect father. A perfect father doesn't look at their children and see all the mistakes. A perfect father looks at his child and sees all the potential for the future, regardless of what they've done to get them here. You see, we're caught up looking at our past, but God's looking at you and he's saying, but I see potential for your future. Really, the greatest obstacle between where you are and where you wish you could be or where God wishes you could be is us. Really, it's how we see ourselves, and that's what we talked about last week. Brian talked a little bit about how we see ourselves, that if we, if we could kind of learn to see us the way that God could, would see us, If we could could kind of see us the way that God sees us, with all that potential, with with all that hope of a future, that we could actually accomplish the wishes that we have or the wishes that God would have for our lives. If we could begin to see the way that God sees us, that we would actually believe what God says about us. That's interesting, isn't it? If we could see ourselves the way that God sees us, we could see the potential for our future and the hope for our future. If you've missed any of these messages, you should catch up online. Uh, I think it's a great series uh, this week in particular I'm excited about, but where we're going next week I'm really excited about. It's a a message you want to bring your friends to. This week we're going to talk a little little bit about uh, ourselves and what's happening in ourselves. Next week we're going to talk about the people we surround ourselves with and how that impacts us. You don't want to miss next week's message. So catch up online. We are in a series called We uh, Wish You Were Here because God has a wish for us. God wishes we were someplace else in our life than we are right now. And we struggle to find it. You see, what's interesting about wishes, when we look at wishes, there are really kind of two kinds of wishes. There are wishes that are completely out of our control. These are wishes like, I wish I had more money, or I wish I looked like him, or I wish I had more hair. I I wish, you know, I I lived in Hawaii and had a mansion. Like, these are wishes that that are are a little bit out of our control. We really can't control them. These are our wishes that we all kind of— Say like, it like it happens. so I just wish. What's interesting, though, is there are wishes that are out of our control. There are wishes that, that, that we, we want, but we really have n- no um, control of the outcome. But there are also wishes that are under our control. Th- these are our, our wishes like, you know, I, I, I want that, and I think I can get it, but I'm really not sure how to get there. I'm just a couple decisions away. I'm, I'm further along than where I was, but I'm not quite there yet. When I look at the people in my life who, who, who have accomplished things or have, who are at places where I want to be, I look at them and I think, I, I, I'm, I'm close, but I'm not there. I, I, I've made some good decisions up to this point. I'm just a, a few decisions away of being where they are. But do you know what the difference is between where they are and where I am? The decisions they made based on the discipline they had. They made different decisions. And they had different outcomes. Today, that's what we want to talk about. We want to talk about uh, these wishes, in particular, and not just the wishes that are out of our control, because some wishes are out of our control, and my hope is that if you find wishes that are out of your control, that you'll get to a place where you can even enjoy that, but also the wishes that are under our control, because uh, my guess is the wishes that are under control, the wishes that we say, I, I know I'm here, but I wish I was there, if we could, could figure out what we're going to talk about this morning, we can begin to take steps in that direction, steps In the direction of actually fulfilling the wish that we have for ourselves or the wish that god has for ourselves steps in the direction of living the life that we all want to live but the problem with this is is that really the obstacle to fulfilling the wish that is under our control is that all of us have this problem and and really i think it's it's universal The, the problem is that we have a difficult time controlling ourselves don't we i mean really think about all the regrets of your past think about all the mistakes that you may have made in your past we, we've, we've made mistakes, we, we've, we've misstepped, we, we've, we've done things, we, we, you know, we've, we ate too much, we spent too much, we didn't work out when we should have, we, we took the wrong promotion, we, we took the wrong phone call, whatever they might be. All the mistakes of our will have to do really with a lack of control of ourselves, that we were just completely out of control, right? And these are the things where we love to tell stories about. We always tell stories about the times where we met up with our friends that one weekend and they were totally out of control because they make great stories. The truth is, they they make great movies. Nobody in Hollywood, no one wants to go see a movie about a guy who spent two hours completely under control. It's not interesting to anyone. We like the stories when we're out of control. And and when when I think about this idea of us kind of reveling in in the idea of being out of control, I I think about Halloween time with my kids. We go trick-or-treating, and they get a a ton of candy, and they bring it back. And you can see, they're like wide-eyed, the twinkle in their eye. They're looking at all their candy, and I know what they're thinking. They're thinking exactly what I was thinking at their age. I can't wait till I'm old enough so I can just eat all of this right now. That's really what I want. I, I, I don't want the restrictions. I don't want the restraint. I want to put it all out on the table and I just want to eat it all. And they're kind of looking at me knowing that he'll never let me do that. I can't wait till I'm an adult so that I can go and I can eat all this candy on my own. And as every good parent does, I take the candy and I say, you know, I got to make sure the candy's good for you and some of it's not poison. So you eat a few and go to bed and I'll look through the candy and then I give them back all the candy that, you know, I take out the stuff I didn't want them to have and the stuff I wanted and give them the rest. That's what every good parent does. <coughs> or we use that old trick. You remember this it, it growing up where there was this rumor went around that they were lacing razor blades in candy. You remember that? That's what we tell our kids. All, every Reese's Cup has been laced with a razor blade. So they, <laughs> they got to come our way, but you can have everything else. But th- there's this idea, and I don't know where, where you might find, you, find yourself, what you kind of go to. Th- there's this idea that, that we're all kind of out of control, or there's this maybe a desire in us to be out of control and really like those are funny stories but when we think about our lives when we think about the mistakes we've made when we think about our future or our hope being out of control isn't going to get us where we want being being out of control not having control of ourselves is not going to take us from wish to here so how are you doing are you in control are there eras of your life where you feel like, no, I, I'm totally out of control and I'm just covering it up, hoping no one notices? Today's message is really going to be completely about self-control. And I know what you're thinking. you seriously, Jim, that I wake up and get out of bed and drive through the rain to hear this? This is not what I want to talk about. But I also think that all of you would agree, it's really important and it's very powerful. Although I don't want to talk about it, I, I think there might be some truth to this. You see, thousands and thousands of years ago, there was a really famous king who lived, who who gave us this incredible uh, picture, kind of a word picture, of what it would look like for somebody to live their life completely out of control. It's actually a a brilliant picture. It's given by King Solomon in the book of Proverbs. In Proverbs, he says this about somebody who lives their life completely out of control. He says they're they're like a city whose walls are broken through. Is a person who lacks self-control. A city whose walls have been broken through. I mean, in this, in this culture, a, a city without walls, it was a city without protection. It was vulnerable. It was extremely vulnerable. It, it, was, it was open t- to marauders and raiders. There could be no commerce. There could be no, no uh, uh, agriculture because everything they had would just be taken. It would be robbed and it would be stolen from them. So a, a city that without walls, he said, is, is left extremely vulnerable. And it's just like you and I. When the wall of self-control has been torn down, we're just extremely vulnerable. Any temptation that comes our way can just come in and take whatever it wants whenever it wants. Maybe you you find yourself in that position now. I wish I had more time, but I have no self-control, and I get on my iPhone, and the next thing I know, it's three hours later. I, I wish I was in better shape, but every time I sit down to eat, I just can't stop myself wish i was a better parent but every time something doesn't go my way my anger just we wish we have no control so we always stay at the wish and we never get to the here that we want for ourselves or that god wants for us but as we're going to see in a minute not only is that good to get there it is exceptionally possible what a brilliant word picture. A man without self-control, a man whose who's self-control has been ripped to the ground. It's like a city without walls. And anybody can just come and go as they please. See, it's, it's a beautiful word picture, but it, it, what's interesting is Solomon just stops there. Like, you, you read that and say, okay, what do I do, Solomon? And he's like, ah, I got something else to talk about. He just kind of moves on. But Solomon, you're, you're right. That, that's, that's brilliant. H- how do I do that? Ah, somebody else can tell you. I'm going to keep going. What's amazing is the Old Testament gives us the picture. It's it's like, you know, you put a puzzle together. It gives us the picture of the puzzle. Like, this is what it could look like. If you had a a wall uh, of self-control around you, you'd be protected. You'd be safe. You wouldn't be vulnerable. Like, yeah, I want that. What do I do? The New Testament then tells you what to do. The New Testament kind of gives you the game plan for putting the puzzle together. If the Old Testament gives you the picture, the New Testament says, okay, take all the pieces out and get the edge pieces and line them up first. You know, you put a puzzle together. Then you, you, you get the inside and you, you separate them by color and you start putting those together and fitting them in. It kind of gives you the game plan for how to put it together. The Apostle Paul kind of continues on, on this idea that Solomon gives us, and he talks a lot about how we can live in self-control. And his words, I, I want you to listen to the words he uses because they, they are strong. And I know Paul comes across as this strong figure, but, but listen to how he's talking about how we should be controlling ourselves. Here's what he says in 2 Corinthians. He's writing to the, the people at Corinth about how we, we can build this wall of self-control around us and be controlled people so that we can go from here to where we and where God wishes we were. This is what Paul says. For though we live in the world, which he's kind of starting way back at the beginning. It's like really interesting. For though we live in the world, almost as if he's saying, anybody not living in the world, outsiders, aliens? Like, no, okay, Paul, I, I got it. Can we keep going? For though we live in the world, and he's doing this for a reason, we do not wage war as the world does. Although we live in this world and although we're part of it, the war that's going on, we're not going to wage it the way the world does. I don't know if you've ever heard this before, but life's a battlefield. Life's a war. There's a war going on. As a matter of fact, we don't talk about this much, but Jesus describes that there's this war going on, not in the physical, not something you can see, but in this this spiritual realm. It's going on for you. It's going on for your current. It's going on for your future. It's happening right now for your kids and for their future. And he he describes it like this. He says, the enemy comes, listen to these military words, to steal, kill, and destroy. The enemy comes to plunder and take what he wants and do away with the rest. But I have come that you might have life. Jesus said that there's a war going on right now for your life, for your future, for your kid's future. You can't see it. It's not going to happen the way you think it does. It's not a war that's that's happening in the physical in front of you. It's a spiritual war, and there's an enemy, and he he gives the enemy a name. He said the enemy is Satan, and Satan is going to do everything he can to trip you up, to mess you up, to to ruin your future. But he's not going to come at you the way you think. He's going to come at you in a different way. Says the, the war that's raging, it's not raging in, in the physical. He said, no, you, you got to take, take steps way back. If, if you think that, that when, when it comes to an action, when it comes to, to actually a, a, like a good deed or a bad deed, he said, if you think that's where, where the war is, he said, no, you, you, it's too late, it's too far. The war happens way back here in our mind. See, the, the battle for self-control begins in the brain. The battle for self-control, the battle to, 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 to decide whether or not we're actually going to do something or not do something. It doesn't happen at the action. It doesn't happen when, when the temptation comes and it's right there in front of you. He so, said, no, it happens all the way back here in our mind that we have a choice we can make to, to, to not do this, to, to save money. Or w- when the, the time comes along, we have a choice to go work out or to not eat so much or to not say those words or to not do that thing. It happens way before the action." happens all the way back in the mind. So we have a decision. Are we going to be self-controlled or not? Are we going to be people who live like we have open, uh, an open city without walls and any temptation can come its way and any temptation can kind of do what it wants and take what it wants and rob our future? Or Are we going to live with a wall of self-control? He said, that, that has to happen but it has to happen way back in your mind before the temptation ever comes. All right, Paul, well, what if we do that? What do we do? He continues the conversation. He says, well, the weapons, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. He says, no, no, on the contrary. These weapons are, are completely different. It, it's not going to look like what the rest of the world looks like and how the rest of the world fights. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. I love his wording here, divine power to demolish strongholds. Do you know what a stronghold is? A stronghold is this thing in your mind that that holds you kind of captive, that holds you prisoner. It's an addiction. It, 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 It kind of stands between you and your wish, where you wish you were. It's something that we've allowed in, a temptation, a thought, and that thought begins to grow. And we think we're okay. We think we can deal with it. We think, yeah, I'm all right. I got it. And the thought begins to grow and grow. And it forms a stronghold, an addiction. And Paul says, when you notice these addictions, when you notice these strongholds in your life, he says, I I don't want you to deal loosely with them. It's not like you walk down and you kick out the tenant, you know, you change the locks and you move in. No, no, he says, when you recognize a stronghold, when you recognize this, this addiction, this problem in your life that's keeping you from where you wish you were, he said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to demolish it. I want you to tear it down to the ground. I mean, his, his wording is so strong. Don't give it any room. It's almost like he's saying, we, we treat our thoughts, we treat them too nicely, we give them too much room, we're, we're too kind to them. He said, that's not how you should live. You should, take, you should come in and you should take over and you should demolish the stronghold. And how do we do that? He said, because God's given you this divine power. This, this divine power. It's almost like God's, God's kind of looking at your life and saying, like, oh, you, you've got a problem. You've got a stronghold. You've got an addiction. He's like, I think I have an answer for that. Yeah, it's, it's this divine power. And when this word power, it's the same word we get the word dynamite from. It's called dunamis. So I have this divine dunamis. It's, like, it's a perfect answer for the problem you're facing. It's a, it's a perfect answer for, for whatever it is you, you might be battling with right now. You, you need power. You need help. I've, I've got it. Divine power. Don't give that stronghold a, any room in your life. Tear it down to the ground. Burn it. Do away with it. Because if you don't, it will destroy your future. He so said, I've given you the power. I've given you the potential. You have the ability. What are you going to do with it? You know, I, I love the Ninja Turtles. Any, anyone here love the Ninja Turtles? That's probably the most awkward transition you're ever going to hear me make. <coughs> I love the Ninja Turtles growing up, and, and what's interesting is they, like, have this lasting power. My kids still kind of like the Ninja Turtles and watched the, the Ninja Turtles. and they, they were just awesome. Like, who didn't want to see a mutant turtle that became a ninja? Um, <coughs> what's interesting, though, when, when you were a kid, how did you decide which turtle you were going to be a fan of the most? It, it was by the weapons they had, right? Like, you had, you had Raphael. He was the red one. He had the size that looked look like you know, big forks. Basically, he had two big forks, that, which was, like, that's kind of cool, but also, you know, it's kind of lame. Two forks, really. Then you had Donatello. He had the stick. He was purple, and it's like, he really g- got the, the <laughs> like, the worst weapon. Like, who, he had to fight with the stick. Good luck. Like, complete shaft. Pun intended. Um, <laughs> then you had Leonardo. He had, the, he had probably the most lethal. He had the sword, which was awesome, but, but that wasn't my favorite. The favorite was Michelangelo with the nunchucks, right? Like, who didn't want to, like, what kid didn't want a set of nunchucks. Like, I have no idea how to use this, but you have a problem, I've got a nunchuck. I'm just going to swing this thing around. (laughs) It's awesome, right? It's like, that's what we love. It's like, no one knows how to use nunchucks. If you do, you, you may have a bigger problem on your hands than I know what to do with. But it's like, who didn't want nunchucks? it's almost like God's looking at at the problems we're going to face, the the addictions that are going to come our way, the the strongholds that are going to creep up in our lives because we didn't have the self-control and temptation came in and it made its home and it put down roots. He said, I I see that problem and I see that problem and and I have uh, uh, the perfect weapon in my bag of tricks, this divine dunamis, this power to tear down your stronghold. That's what I have God, I, I could I could use more of that. I, I don't know about you, but, but there are strongholds in my life that I have tried and tried and tried to tear down on my own. And it it seems like I'm not getting anywhere. Are there strongholds in your life? I mean, I, I think it's it's safe to say that we all know somebody who battles with something. Maybe it's pornography. Maybe it's 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 drinking alcohol. And this thing that, that, that used, they used to use to express their freedom, to, to enjoy themselves, has come in and made its home and became a stronghold. And we all know from the outside looking in that it's robbing them of the future that they want. It's robbing them of the future that God has for them. It's like the story of David and Goliath. David David fights this giant. This is an amazing story. And as he's walking out to the battlefield, this young shepherd boy with a sling and stones facing this giant. He he has this this kind of call with Goliath. And he says, Goliath, you come at me with all of your weapons, right? With the, the spear and the javelin, weapons that I don't have, weapons that I don't use. But I'm coming at you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel's armies who you're taunting today and I'm going to cut off your head, and I'm going to serve it to you on a platter. And he did. That's divine dunamis. That's power that we, that no one else can use, that no one else has control of but God. He said, do you have a stronghold in your life? Here. Tear it down. Get it out. I don't have anything to do with it. In psychology, really, this is kind of entry-level psychology. They, they refer to this as... as uh, classic conditioning. Pavlov to- talked about this. They, he noticed that dogs, how a dog reacts to food, right? They, they get hungry, they begin to salivate, and then th- they want food. And he said, I wonder if I can change that. So he, he conditions the dog to a bell, that every time he would ring a bell, the dog w- would salivate and then get hungry and, and food. So he trained a dog to eat when he wants the dog to eat. It's, it's classical conditioning, but it's kind of like h- how we are. Right, we're, we're, we all kind of r- respond that way. There's this, this thought that there's this thought that kind of creeps up into our heads, and then after the thought, there's this response. Th- there's a thought or a stimulus, and then after the stimulus, we respond to it. But what's interesting is there's this, this space between it, as David Matthews would say, there's the space between the thought and the response. A- and he says, "That's where I want you to, to, to rest, because it's in that space between. Where you can make a decision that can change the outcome of your life sometimes you can't help the thought but what you do before you respond can predict your future because that's what i want to talk about that's where we need to focus the space between the thought and the stimulus so many people have written about this stephen covey and Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Charles Dewey wrote an amazing book called The Power of Habit that our team's read. There's a thought and there's a response, but it's what happens in the middle that makes all the difference. Paul continues. He says, we demolish. Again, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. I love that he's using this. We don't don't treat these arguments with, with kindness. We don't make room for them. We don't say, oh, but it's a nice argument. It's a good argument. He says, no, we, we demolish the arguments. We, we tear them down to the ground. And do you know what an argument is? It's just the imagination. It's like, well, the what ifs. Well, well, what if I did that? Would I really get in trouble? Well, what if I said that? Would she really get mad at me? I mean, well, what if I did that? Would she ever really find out? What if I went there? Would anyone ever really know? And, and the what-ifs, the arguments, begin to come in. He said every time that argument begins to creep up, you need to demolish it. Stop treating it kindly. Stop giving it room in your life and in your in your mind. Tear it to the ground. Why? Because it, it sets itself up against the knowledge of God. You know what the knowledge of God is? It's that his ways are the best ways. Isaiah said that. But m- my thoughts... Are, are so much higher than your thoughts. This is God speaking. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. My ways are higher than your ways. As the heavens are above the earth, so my ways are higher and better than your ways and your thoughts. And it takes humility to to be able to say, God, your way is better than my way. We don't always want to admit it, but come on, God. Really, sex for marriage only? That's so like twenties, like eighteen twenties. Nobody does this. God's saying, like, I'm telling you. My ways better. Secrets, come on, God, I can do, I, I can manage that, I can, I can control that. That's what I'm telling you. My ways are better, but God, no one will find out. Everything comes to light, and you will suffer the consequences. My ways are better. Every argument, you need to demolish it, because it sets itself up. Against the knowledge, of God, and, and then He uses this word, pretension. Pretension is, is like a, a line of reasoning. It, it, it's it, it's a line of argumentation. Like we can almost talk ourselves into it. Yeah, but yeah, but, and it's just it keeps going. Yeah, but. No, no, no. Every argument, every pretension, every thought that would come in that would set itself up as a stronghold against God, you got to tear it down. See, there, there's a thought, and there's a response, and there's the space between. And do you know what most of us do in that space between? We make our thoughts comfortable. We give it room. Oh, it's okay. It's it just, it, it's all right. It's not a, I mean, really, what if? But, but I, I think I, you know what we're like? We're, it's like a fine dining restaurant, and we're the maitre d and our, our thoughts come in without a reservation. Oh, I'm sorry, you didn't have a reservation Instead of being a good measure, sorry, there's no room here, hold on for a second. Let me see what I can do. I'm just going to make some room. I'm just going to move some things around. We're just going to sh- Do you mind waiting for a minute? I'm going gonna, gonna to shift some things around, I'm going to make you comfortable. That's what we do with every thought that comes into our head. When we, when we tear down the wall of self-control, and thoughts and temptations can come in whenever they want and take hold, we just say, hey, here you go. There's plenty of room. good is it you know what i i tend to do that that it it just kind of embarrasses me when it happens i tend to think i'm right all the time it's it's one of these pretensions i have like i I just think i'm right and i don't know if it's just a a a male thing or it's my personality thing but i tend to think that i'm always right and my wife's always wrong she's not home so i'm allowed to say this stuff um but it happens all the time. We'll, we'll argue, just the other week, we were arguing about something that was at home. And she's like, yep, it's sitting right there on the counter. I'm like, no, it's not. Yes, it is. No, it's not. And, you know, the argument keeps going, yes, it is. No, it's not. Sure enough, I, you know, the whole time I'm thinking, yeah, she's just, come on. I'm right. I'm always right. And then I go home and I see it on the counter. And it's like, oh, Jim, you're an idiot. But you know what else I do? I do the very same thing with God. Come on, God, I got this. Jim, you don't got it. No, I'm good. I can handle it. Jim, you can't handle it. No, I've learned my lesson. I I can control it on my own this time. No, you can't. Sure enough, it blows up in my face, and I just sit back and think, oh, you arrogant idiot, Jim. We allow our thoughts, we allow the pretensions to build up a stronghold against God, against His ways, when we know at the end His ways are better than my ways. His ways would have saved me the heartache. It would have saved me the trouble. It would have saved me of having to come back and apologize like like a a humble fool before my wife for being so arrogant and prideful. We give them room. Oh, come on in. There's plenty of room. Pull up another chair at the table. i says that's not what I want you to do. I don't want you to be nice to these thoughts. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to take every thought captive. And make it obedience to Christ. I want you to take every thought that would come into your head and I want you to own it. I want you to t- listen to his, how strong his words are. There's a thought and there's a response, and instead of making it comfortable, here's what I want you to do I want you to make it captive. I want you to take hold of it and I want you to own it. I want you to basically put a gun to his hand and say, Not here, not now. Find somewhere else to go. Not in my life, not with my future. You know who would be a horrible maitre d' at a restaurant? This guy. You guys ever seen Taken? <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful movie. <coughs> I love movies, so we get to talk about movies here. If you haven't seen Taken or seen Taken 2 or Taken 3, it's all kind of the same. Liam Neeson does Liam Neeson, and it's awesome. <coughs> if you haven't seen it, it's a super suspenseful movie. It's, it's, it's a wild ride. You're going to have your whole chair, but you're only going to need the edge of it. Uh, it's awesome. But in this movie, he makes this, this incredible speech that I'm sure you're going to know as I read you the speech. Um, but his daughter gets taken captive. She gets kidnapped, and they call him, and he's on the phone with the kidnapper, and and he says this, and I'm going to read it from my screen back there. He says, I don't know who you are. I don't know what you want. If you're looking for ransom, I can tell you, I don't have money. But what I do have is a very particular set of skills, a set of skills that I have acquired over a very long career, skills that make me a nightmare for people like you. If you let my daughter go now, that'll be the end of it. I will not look for you, I will not pursue you. But if you don't, I will look for you, and I will find you, and I will kill you. And Paul says that's exactly how you have to be with your thoughts. Not in my life. Not in my mind. Not over my future. Not over my kids' future. No, I'm going to be Liam Neeson. And I'm going to put a gun to the thought's head and say, not here, not now. You've got to find somewhere else to go. Paul says, I want you to take it captive. Why was Liam Neeson so tenacious in that movie? No one ever watched that movie and was like, man, that guy just needs to relax. He just needs to calm down. Do you know why? Because we all want to be like that. If somebody were to come and take one of our children, we want to be like him and say there is no guy too big that I wouldn't stand up to and there's no line I wouldn't cross to get my child back. I'll say that's exactly how you have to be with your thoughts. Don't make them comfortable. Take them captive. Own them. Your thoughts don't own you. Paul says we take captive every thought and we make it obedient to Christ. What does that mean? It means we're making it obedient to Christ because we believe that his ways are higher and better than ours. And that thought's going to stand in contrast. That thought is going to build a stronghold. That thought is going to keep me from being what Jesus wants me to be, from being where Jesus wants me to be. We have to take our thoughts captive to restore the wall of control. So let me ask you a few questions as we wrap up. What are the thoughts that you need to control, that you need to take captive? I mean, even now, you don't have to answer out loud because that could be embarrassing, but you know what they are. They're the things that that continually pop up in your life that you continue to deal with, that perhaps you don't want to deal with. But they keep coming. And if you're not sure what they are, then let me ask the question this way. What are the thoughts you need to take captive that result in the behaviors that you're trying to avoid? And we all know what that is. We all know there are things we don't want to do. We we we, be, we look at our lives, we realize there's there's parts of us that, that we don't want to be, that the things that we've done that we don't want to do, people that we act like that we don't want to become. What are those thoughts? that you need to take captive that result in the behaviors you're trying to avoid that are keeping you from the wishes for your future? What thoughts do you need to take captive? What things have you, have you given room to in your life? You've been a really good maitre d' and you need to be a little more Liam Neeson. What things in your life have you allowed to come in and build a stronghold that need to get the boot? that you need to essentially put the gun to its head and say, not here, you've got to find somewhere else to go. Maybe you just need to take a little time, a little time to think about what you need to think about. Maybe you hear this and say, I'm not sure about all this, but, 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 but the wording is just so powerful. Maybe I just need to take some time to think about the things that I need to be thinking about, or, or perhaps that I shouldn't be thinking about. Tony Robbins calls this the hour of power. Christians call this quiet time, where we open our Bible in the morning, we say, God, I'm just going to take a moment, to, to think about what I need to be thinking about today, what I need to be focused on today, the thoughts that are coming in the thoughts I don't want to allow in. Maybe you need to take some time. Maybe you need to choose the thoughts that will result in the behaviors you wish for your future. I mean, we all have an idea of who we want to become. And the only thing keeping us from the person we want to become is our lack of ability to control ourselves. What behaviors do you need to become the person that you wish you were? What behaviors do you need to get rid of to become the person you wish you were? The thoughts need to become captive? Why was Liam Neeson so aggressive and taken? Because his daughter was kidnapped. Who wouldn't act that way? his daughter meant so much to him we look at that and we would think the same thing if our son or our daughter was taken paul says it's the same with your with your thoughts your thoughts are powerful and right now there's a potential thought swirling around your head that if acted on could result in destroying your future there's a thought swirling around your life right now that, that, that if acted upon could harm your children what wouldn't you do to keep that from happening? What thoughts do you need to take captive? There's a thought right now, potentially swimming around your head, that if acted upon, would ruin everything you've worked so hard for in this life. Don't give it room. Don't treat it kindly. This is the one time you're going to hear me say, don't be nice. Be a little more Liam Neeson. Get aggressive. Listen to Paul's words, to demolish it, to tear it to the ground. Don't give it any room in your life and get rid of it. Because if you don't, it has the potential to get rid of you. We don't spend time thinking about this often, but really, our thoughts have the ability to control and destroy us if we're not careful. Don't live, as Solomon said, like a city with, with no walls, so they can come in whenever they want and take whatever they want. Build the wall of self-control. The battle for self-control begins in the mind. And you have the ability. You have the power. You have the divine dunamis. You're never going to forget that word because it's so weird. You have the divine dunamis to tear down every stronghold, every thought that would come in, and cause you to be the person you don't want to be. It calls you to be stuck at wish instead of walking the path to where you wish you were, or where God wishes you were. Take every thought captive. Tear it to the ground. Make it comply with the obedience of Christ and the knowledge of God. And you'll get from where you were to where you always wanted to be. Let me pray for you this morning. Heavenly Father, I thank you, God, for for the power of these words, Lord, for the, the incredible image that Solomon gave us. And then the words from Paul, Lord, that they're just, God, so strong. You can sense his emotion behind it, God. That if we don't get this, if we don't don't learn this and get it right, God, our thoughts, what, how we live, God, with with this open idea that every thought has room in, in our life, God, it has the uh, the ability to destroy us and to rob us of our future. I pray for every person as as they hear this message, God, that they would be inspired to to look back over their lives, to look at at the at the things that they're doing, at the thoughts they've allowed to turn into actions or habits or, God, even addictions and strongholds that are beginning to make them the person they never wanted to become. God, that you would give them the wisdom to see it and the courage, God, to face it and tear it down with the power that you've provided, God, not giving it any room, but to tear it down to the ground. And, God, as we do, I pray that we would begin to see our life move in the direction we've always wanted it to, from where we are now, God, to where we wish we always were, to where you wish we always were. And I pray all these things in your son, Jesus, our Savior's name.